Wearable's bad. We were all young and dumb. Mm. I'll have you know I only use clockwork wearables like my large goggles and pocket watch. You know what, Sybil? That makes perfect sense because that groan I did right there was me thinking doubt emoji when he said we were all young at one point and thinking of <laughs> you specifically. So thank you. You're welcome. So do, do, do the goggles have a watch in them? Is that is that where we were going with that? Or are the goggles just like there? They do actually have little clockwork gears on the side. No, 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 no. That's not what I meant, though. They function. Function in what way? No, they spin. They don't fulfill a function. No, the function is being steampunk. That, no, no, that's not that's a function. No, that's not a function. That's a disability. I'll have you know that I'm just going to reach over and spin these a little, and it's still fun. That's the okay. function. I have said so many cold opens already. <laughs> oh, more than a little of this is going to be spliced in before the jump, just because we need some levity this episode. Uh, do we? It's not like there's like genocide or anything this episode. There, there's the normal do amount you, of genocide. It's fine. Do you not remember where we start from? That was the joke. I realize sometimes my monotone voice <laughs> I does don't. not relay okay. to sarcasm okay. very well. Okay. Spoilers. I watched this a month ago and did not bother to rewatch it, so I do not remember what happens at all. It's going to be good, then. are listening to Boku no Stop, an anime podcast that has been friends with you for seven whole years. I'm your host, Sybil Arnett, and with me today is... I'm Garrett. I'm Chris. Friends is a strong word for the relationship I have with the listener. You don't remember that line, so that's going to hit for you in a bit. It'll be uh, fine. Matt is out today because he was accidentally marked down as his employee of Volition and killed, and unfortunately we're going to have to do some paperwork to get him back. But without him, we'll be talking How about... How long is Birthright ass? supposed to be, anyway? When is he coming back? <laughs> Holy shit. What? <laughs> I thought mine was tasteless. <laughs> Today we're talking about Code Geass, episodes 23 and 24. Uh, content warnings for today's batch include horrific ethnic cleansing and probably the most blood of any single chunk of this series. That probably tracks. Last time, Euphemia Lee Britannia changed the face of Japan and the world with two live public broadcasts. The first was from the Ashford Academy School Festival, announcing the specially administrated Zone of Japan, a region around Mount Fuji designed to be a cultural outpost, free of bigotry, and hopefully a first step to peace. The second brought on by Lelouch's Gias going out of control a la Mao's powers, was the announcement that every Britannian citizen should seek out and kill every Japanese person. The master's tools can never dismantle the master's house. 
And thus we begin stage 23, at least with sorrow. Our cold open is simple Euphemia in a mech, using it to broadcast the chipper message over shots of a burning Japanese flag and a shitload of bodies. When the episode begins, we return to the Black Knights charging the stadium from their hiding place. Unsurprisingly, uh, the Japanese parts of the Resistance are getting real heated at seeing an overt call for genocide, and what few survivors are on the ground are praising them as the clash escalates uh, to open warfare with the Britannians. Um, Euphemia's name has become a curse on the lips of the Black Knights, and slowly, Colin, then Zero, um, locate and uh, disable Euphemia's frame. She then ejects from the ruined mech. Um, Euphemia begins just wildly firing a machine gun at the uh, Gawain to no effect until Zero ejects and she goes, Oh, you're not one of them. Okay. Um, Zero then walks up to her as her jumbled head can't fight understand her own desires versus the gas's command with an internal farewell, Euphie. You were the first girl I ever loved, as Lelouch shoots his own sister down. Are they related? They're brother and sister! Are they? Like, like half, though, half, right? Half, but yes. Yeah, okay, that's yeah, what I meant. they have the meant. same They're dad. they really related. They're kind of related. They grew up together. Incest needs to make the, the warning tag, right? I don't know. Look. I can't... She did just get fucked, let's be real. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Oh wait, no, that's about to happen right now. Suzuku arrives on the scene, just in time to see the gunshot and goes berserk, swooping down like an eagle to retrieve her still-breathing form. Uh, The scene looks fantastic, with Suzuku going full frothing mad in the cockpit, swerving past the Gawain's lasers to grab the body, and then uppercutting the Gurren so hard it collapses the arm of a Lancelot. His return to the Avalon is met with shock, because he's carrying an incredibly gore-splattered dying Euphemia through the halls, screaming that nobody can let her die. There's a brief break with Cordelia marshalling her forces and taking off for the zone where Guilford informs her that Darleton is still missing, last reported wounded. Also, he says, trailing off, speaking of the wounded. We cut to Euphemia in a tank full of Tang, heart rate falling as machines try to keep her breathing. In the now-captured zone, the Black Knights and Japanese survivors are basically making examples of the few Britannians who surrendered. Uh, the the populace are not really loving things right now. The camera heads into one of the Britannian command vehicles, now under Dieter's command, with his men taking all of the footage and raw brutality as something to work with. Lounging on a couch beside this, Rakshata has a brief conversation with him, saying it's impressive how little loyalty he has to his birth country. But she admits she too will probably stay on with the Black Knights for similar reasons to his own. I came here for data, and yet I find Zero so amusing. Uh, Zero, C2, and Callan meet up with the Kyoko group, now that everyone's in safe locales, and our man tells them, I'm calling the shots now, none of us survive without it. Um, aboard the Avalon, noted worst knight Suzaku, Cecile, and Lloyd are beside Euphemia's bed. 
Um, doctors discuss she's not going to last long enough to be flown back to the capital and the Viceroy. Um, when the princess's eyes open and she sees Suzaku, um, Cecile wordlessly removes the ventilator so Yuffie can speak and pulls Lloyd, for once not resisting, out of the room as she leaves the pair alone. Um, from this moment on, as their conversation begins, we start cross-cutting between various sites and events across the world. Inside the stadium at the zone, Zero begins giving a speech that's going out live, calling out Britannia as an empire of genocide, which is very funny considering where this goes. We see someone in the Chinese Federation watching the speech as well. The crowd with some egging on from Zero, are openly calling for a revolt, and Euphemia's name has been a curse on par with Thatcher's. Uh, Zero then finishes his speech, saying, we're not going back in time. We're not just going to make Japan again. We'll make what we were promised, a nation where race doesn't matter. A land of equality. The United States of Japan will be born from this massacre. Unbelievable! Matt has asked us to call out the wild pose Zero does with his hips here, which looks so fucking funny on a clamp design, because on a normal person, it would just be swooping your arms back and doing a little thrust, but instead, it looks like a waving tube man in motion. <laughs> He's just a noodle. Look, all I'm gonna say, please visit readsettlers.org. Yes. All the while, a dying Euphemia cannot remember the Gias command she gave, and Suzuku tearfully lies to her as he passes, telling her that Japan loves her and the zone was a great success. Which it was, depending on what your goal was. Mm-hmm. Britannia, loving this outcome. Ha. I mean, Charles was cracking the fuck up last time. We cut to commercial with nothing but the silent reactions of a faceless Zero before the crowd chanting his name, a silently screaming Suzuku being pulled away as Euphemia's heart monitor flatlines, and then a smash cut to Cornelia's Dear God. In one of the administrative buildings, Zero finally unmasks around Cece, hiding his face before she reminds him that, you know, I'm immune to your power, dude. Before they can dig in on this further, his phone begins ringing with a call from Nunnally. This is actually where one of the final two picture dramas took place, we get to hear the ceremony from Nunnally's viewpoint, and she's flashing back to a sleepover with Euphemia. It ends with the broadcast being silenced immediately after Euphemia returns to the mic, so she calls Lelouch. Nunnally says that Millie's having the school rerun the festival after everything got out of control, so, like, could she talk to Euphemia and maybe invite her... Lelouch, I will never lie to you, Nunnally v. Britannia, <laughs> tells his sister, Oh, uh, radio cutoff? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you about it. Uh, when I'm home tomorrow, everything's cool, and hangs up. Look, he didn't lie. Zero lied. It still counts. Ha! <laughs> um, C2 presses him a little more about his power shifting. Um, he says that Euphemia resisted it for a moment, and he was worried it was getting weaker. But instead, he thinks... She just resisted such a malignant command. Um, Lelouch is just shy of bursting into tears, head in his hands, as C2 walks over and kneels down, cradling him, saying that she made a contract, and she will be with him until the very end. Um, Guilford is trying to hold the generals in line, a complicated task giving the state of the country. Um, even shutting off the broadcast and trying to kill all communication online, the footage of the massacre has made it to the public, and insurrections are kicking, up, uh, kicking off all across Japan. 
Um, the Black Knights are the largest of these and are sweeping across Japan from Mount Fuji with all the captured vehicles and weaponry they got, um, sweeping every local force up in their wake to march on the Tokyo settlement. Um, with Darleton MIA and Cornelia Inchak having locked herself in her dead sister's room, it's up to Guilford to give orders, and he's uh, staying firm that he won't override Cornelia's final order of canceling the attack on the zone. Elsewhere, Nina takes the news of Euphemia's death very poorly in a screaming expression that is probably our episode art this week. She looks like a classy Chupo era Simpsons character. The, everything about this is so off model. It, it Nina is looks exceedingly really off model. It's like if you put her face on a stress ball and then just squeeze the fuck out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Up to and including the eyes going in two different directions. You know what That's it's supposed true. to be? It's supposed to look like the thing that Shinji does. Yeah. Oh, that's definitely it. Or maybe a Kubrick stare kind of thing. But no, it's completely done in a style that does not work. In the hallway, Cece is chatting with ghosts again. We finally get the reveal of who's on the other side of the psychic hotline as she thanks her confidant, her confidant, Marianne. And if you're as dumb as I am, don't forget, that's Lelouch's mother. A brief call between Ogi and Valletta occurs. She picks up on him using her new name for the first time. Like, I don't... What he, What has he been saying? Yeah! Is he like an Usher My Boo kind of guy? Oh. Definitely, now that I said it out loud. That's Ogie for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely Ogie. And uh, Ogie goes, oh yeah, I guess I did. The thing that will not matter anymore, because... The second she hangs up, local rebels bash in the door on the apartment she's in and scream that she must be some kind of Britannian spy. Uh, quote from Matt. I thought she was dead as fuck for a second, but then realized this show wouldn't let a hot woman go to waste, so I figured she would Jason Bourne them. Not wrong. That's true. What? What, what am I supposed to infer happens here? She remains. She regains her memory and murders some folks. Why? Trauma. Yeah. That's, that that's, sucks. That's what caused the memory loss. That's so. Yeah, that's how you but, fix it. Yeah, but that sucks. The show implies that she is in danger off screen, but we cut away before anything happens, and then next episode we'll cut back and see the aftermath, and that's it. At Ashford Academy, most of the student council are taking shelter inside the council building slash apartment, wondering if the fighting will come their way. Only Revolves is going, there's no way, there's troops all over here, why would they come this way? Millie is trying to get Nina to join them, but she's sequestered herself underground with the old pizza flipper frame, doing all sorts of tinkering and mad scientists, swearing that she will avenge the princess. Yeah, sure, that, that's one way of understating it. Hey, that's what she says right now. That's true. Aboard the Avalon, Suzuku is mourning over Euphemia's body, wondering why she gave that order, and then a voice pipes in. Shall I tell you? We see a horrid little imp swimming in platinum blonde hair standing behind him. So excited thing- I'm leaving after, before we come back to this at this point. I don't, I don't know anything beyond the name, so I can't tell you why. This is one of the figures who's been in a lot of Cece's flashbacks and the resonance events with Suzuku. 
and he introduces himself to Suzuku as Vivi. As the military command, uh, Guilford seems to be on the verge of losing men before Kuniyo busts in fire in her eyes. She says that all troops are to be recalled to the edge of the Tokyo settlement. Uh, we can win this one in one instant if we just take Zero. Meanwhile, Zero's giving the same order in reverse, um, telling Dieter to run the command vehicle as the general prepares to take the Gwain to the front lines. Um, before he can, uh, Suzaku's irritating cousin, the one Kyoto member under the age of 65, comes in and goes, Uwu, we should get married, Zero. That, this that does sucks. happen. Yeah, Everything in this episode that isn't guys getting fucking, like, obliterated sucks. Um, he says he cannot do that. He cannot do this one. One, because he's got an army to lead. And two, I'm already in a marriage with the devil. A line which seems to wound the C2 behind him. Owned. In an underground bunker, General Bartley is trying to get the experiments moved out of the country back to the homeland. But something goes awry, and the Jeremiah tube shatters, releasing the cyborged up soldier. Yeah, in case you forgot, Jeremiah's here, and he's a cyborg now. Uh, he slowly comes to his feet, and you can instantly tell he may have taken some brain damage uh, between the extreme heat of getting uh, melted and the experiments as he just says, Good morning, it was! Back at the front lines, Zero swoops in above his troops and delivers an ultimatum. Britannia has a final chance to surrender, or they'll move in to conquer Tokyo at 12 midnight, which uh, a timer he sets off informs us is about 12 minutes away. Somewhere in Japan, we see Dalton having made contact with a flight unit to pick him up. He's wounded inside his cockpit, but says he has to reach his her says he has to reach Her Majesty despite this. Inside the Gawain, Cece tells Lelouch he has one last chance to turn back. Whatever happens here is going to set off more consequences than just those inside Japan. He says he's aware and does not elaborate on this as his phone begins ringing with a call from Euphemia. Knowing it can't be her, he begrudgingly answers it, but does not speak. On the other end of the line, Suzuku's voice comes out. Lelouch. The two have a quick chat, with Suzuku asking if Lelouch is at the academy. Lulu says he is not, but will be soon. That's good, says Suzuku. When you get there, can you deliver a message for me? Tell them not to look up at the sky. Lelouch is confused, but his friend continues. Lelouch. Is there anyone you've ever hated so much you could actually want to kill them? Lelouch gives a quiet yes, and Suzuku goes on. I used to think you had to stay inside the rules to change things, but now... Now I'm just driven by hatred. I'm going to become a murderer in the skies of Tokyo tonight. Please don't let anyone else see that. This is exactly what would have happened if Trump got reelected, by the way. Just liberals just blowing up a mailbox or whatever. <laughs> You know it's true. Hey, if Scott Adams didn't see anything wrong with it, then why should the rest of us? They were... Oh my God. <laughs> I just... I actually made him choke. Nice. Uh, Lelouch tells him, hey, no, I get it. But yeah, I'll do this for you. We've been friends for a long time. And the two men say their goodbyes. Uh, extra context for this from the final picture drama. After his chat with Vivi, Suzuku has finally remembered the episode one baby Lelouch promise of I've got to destroy Britannia and realize the only person who can be under the zero mask. So at this point, 
both men are aware they're about to try and kill each other. The timer ticks over to midnight, and suddenly the entirety of the outer structure of of the Tokyo settlement, the big-ass city above it all we've been seeing all series long, starts collapsing under the feet of the Britannian army. As we see the highways crumble, toppling tanks into the abyss, and the damage begins to lean skyscrapers over, cutting the power and smashing jets out of the sky, Lelouch begins giving a mad monologue inside the Gwaine. Perhaps this is what I've longed for ever since that day. The destruction and loss of everything. That's right. Destruction always comes before creation. And for that goal, even my own conscience must be cast aside. The only path left to me is straight ahead. Um, it ends, as does the episode. Uh, it takes us into episode 24, The Collapsing Stage. We begin with Jeremiah looking at the files on Code R, which is what the Project to Study CC was named, apparently. You could have picked literally any letter. Why is it that one? Yeah. He's torn between overjoyed and disgusted at what the experimentation has done to him while the entire room is horrified watching. Bartley tries to talk him down again, saying, I, look, I will hear you out at length, but let's get out of Japan first. And he nearly succeeds. But this is when Zero gives his giant broadcast outside. And it turns out that melted brain or not, Jeremiah definitely remembers that he hates that motherfucker. There is no time to dwell on this, though. As we learn, we've gone back in time a little to Zero's You Have Until Midnight declaration. While his broadcast reverberates throughout Tokyo's settlement, a series of gassed-up maintenance workers begin setting up the collapse of the structure for him. Uh, more than one of them is shown to just blow their co-workers away while in this trance just to make sure they carry out the mission. Again, we are treated to all sorts of military hardware just being destroyed in the toppling, but it seems like Nightmare Frames make it out pretty alright overall between Slash Harkin anchoring themselves to stable structures or just being able to land on their feet. In the command vehicle, where Kaguya and Dieterd are acting as intel, mostly Dieterd, um, the old man wonders how in the hell Zero pulled the stunt off like this with his collaborators. Um, he thinks to himself, you know, maybe Valletta and Jeremiah were being mind-controlled thing was onto something. And once again gets that I'm-so-murder-horny expression in thinking that Zero has the ability to reduce anyone he wants to, uh, to pieces on a game board. Um, this is where we cut to the very final OP of the season, which lasts these two episodes, um, Hitomi no Subasa by Access. If you know the band from anything other than this show, it's either because of that time they did a song for the Virginia Tech Massacre, which uh, Matt wants to know more interesting about. They did a song for the Virginia Tech Massacre victims. Or it's because one of the co-founders, Daisuke Asakura, absolutely fucks as an electronic musician and did all of the rock songs for music-heavy yaoi series Gravitation. Man, when I saw Gravitation there, it unlocked deep memories of me remembering that was a show that existed. Yeah. Gravitation is something that I don't know if I ever want to revisit, but I don't regret having seen it at the time because it was just the right blend of stupid comedy that didn't take itself seriously along with over-the-top gay harem action. It was a very of-its-time show. But they went all in on the anime adaptation because, again, they got Daisuke Asakura to do all of the rock songs for the show, which were just 
words on a page in the manga. Uh, the OP is basically like a Japanese Duran Duran B-side, and the visuals are just, here are the people who are still alive that have a mech, with footage of them doing sick moves in the rest of the season. It's very... we didn't try. That's fair, but but robots are sick. Mm-hmm. Armored Core 6, out now. Yeah! I, I'm not playing it because I don't have a computer that can run it. I backed the wrong horse. I bought the new Saints Row right before they killed the company. Oh, man, rip, rip volition. Yep. The new Saints Row wasn't even that bad. It was perfectly serviceable. The story writing is bad, but there's a lot of fun in it. I have yeah. been enjoying my time with it. I, I feel like it's probably better than 4. I think 4 was better, but 4 also had some incredibly... Nothing in this game's writing is going to stand out for me like redoing the They Live scene or the Keith That's David sex joke. That is pretty good. Though I, I will always stand by the, the LARP set of missions in the new game as being a masterclass. I'm not there yet. I just They're so got, good. I just got the church and finally unlocked the table. Gotcha. I think you're close to being able to do that set of side missions, and they're amazing. I suspect I know which one it is, and I... Because I have the full version with all the DLC, I have already seen one of the LARP missions out in the world from the bonus campaigns. Gotcha. Because I guess there was a whole Renfair-ass area added to the map. Oh, that's sick. Yeah. Uh, it also has full... You know the tour guide stuff that's around the city? Yeah, I hate that stuff. I enjoy some of them because they're very clearly our designers just wrote some jokes or are talking yeah. about their art process. No, I was just going to say, like, the ones that I remember doing were just, like, very annoying and, like, trying to find the right interactable. Well, yeah, they kind of suck to do. We then cut back to the moment last episode ended. Lelouch still laughing in the Gawain as he reveals his brilliant plan to a silent CC. It's apparently, if we get on the worldwide news with... If we get on the worldwide news, having captured the capital, my dad has to take me seriously. And if he meets me one-on-one, -on -one, I win. Yes. Yeah. At this point, the episode begins cutting back and forth between a whole lot of POVs around Tokyo. And so, rather than make this incredibly scattershot, we're just going to handle things storyline by storyline. With the storyline, the storyline on the battlefield is, on the front lines... Toto sends squads to their predetermined places, and anyone he didn't call by name is coming with him for a full frontal assault on the seat of power. R.I.P. to these guys. As Cornelia ha! tries to gather her forces in the rubble, her flashy mech and lance combo marks her as a priority one target, and only through the intervention of a wounded mook sacrificing himself, plus Guilford going, you chose me as your knight, let me do my job and defend you, Jesus Christ. Uh, those are the only things that make her retreat. And a confrontation, sorry, that make her retreat from a confrontation with Toto and the Four Swords, which she absolutely stands zero chance of winning. Her last words to Guilford before she begins gathering forces at the administrative building are in order for him to return alive. Later on, Guilford is able to make a safe escape, barely, 
when his position is backed up by the deployment of the Glaston Knights, five young dipshits who do nothing this season. At a council chamber in the Britannian homeland, apparently nobody can raise the Emperor. Schneisel thinks he must be there again. The worldwide implications of this rebellion are clear to everyone in the room, especially with the Chinese Federation suddenly having an entire fleet ready to deploy in the East China Sea. While nobody can agree on whether or not troops should be sent, because, after all, what Euphemia did was a horrendous action, Schneisel stands and volunteers to take his own personal troops to back Cornelia. The room is entirely willing to accept this because it means nobody else has to stick their neck on the chopping block. In the fray of the battle, Darlton has finally made it behind friendly lines, being dropped off by a flyer before it returns to service. He's bleeding out badly, but still determined to reach the Viceroy. The news reaches Cornelia with the Glaston Knights telling her that Snizel will arrive in 75 hours with a full air fleet. Her response is, okay, that means reinforcements will be here in 30 minutes. Leak that to the Black Knights. Um, I thought, I thought this, this was, was a... F yeah, this is me. I thought this was a feint designed to fuck with them, but no, an entire air fleet shows up at the end of the episode just in time to do nothing. That's true. Um, Guilford and the Glaston lads are deployed to her defensive line, and she's awaiting a different signal to return to the battlefield. Meanwhile, in a bunker, we get a quick shot of Jeremiah, who's still throthing mad about Zero existing, um, that even being hardwired, hardwired into a PC can't shut down his rage. I love this fucking... Yeah. You can't just plug him into a goddamn terminal. You like can never count on the task manager to do his job. That's true. <laughs> He is still just a rat in a cage. <laughs> We're not going to move to the Ashford Academy and Black Knight storyline here, which starts with Zero issues the orders for the Zero Squad as well as Ogie's unit to capture Ashford Academy. Specifically, his plan is twofold. He wants Colin and Ogie on site to make sure that, quote, the hostages, most importantly, Nunnally, and I guess there are some other people here too, uh, are kept safe. And they're using the staff building seems like a great way to keep Britannia from bombing their infield headquarters off the map. Ogie is a bit distracted in all of this because he cannot raise Valletta. We see a shot of the apartment where the three men who broke in last episode are bloody heaps on the floor. And she's just stumbling out into the night. As we continue on, the troops are moved around to new positions. Uh, Dieter is being ordered to lead the media takeover, leaving the command vehicle in Kaguya's hands. Imagine leaving anything in Kaguya's hands. Uh, Zero asks who the on-the-ground collaborator is for the Ashford takeover, and he's surprised when Ogi tells him it's Sayoko. At a Tokyo broadcasting station, Dieter walks in very openly in a Black Knight uniform, telling the chief engineer at gunpoint, I've brought you an exclusive. The Knights seize the station by force, then all others, and suddenly government media is Black Knight media on all channels. As the student council watches the broadcasts go dark, Black Knight troops swarm in, declaring their building is being requisitioned as a frontline command center. Revolves tries to be cool and, like, stand in front of the gun-toting guys, and he almost catches a rifle to the face for it. But Zero and a masked Kalan walk in, the former ordering nobody is to be harmed. While Revolves runs his mouth a little more, Kalan is the one who reveals her face and says, Look, cooperate and nobody gets hurt. You have our word. The room is too stunned to react to this, although Millie is kind of like, well, I guess this checks out, until Shirley starts screaming, what did you do to me? And asking about her fucked up memories. 
Callan has no comment, and Zero remains silent, until Ogi rushes in with the news that the Lancelot is flying inbound. When we return to the Academy, Ogi is being informed that they've captured someone. His suspicion is one of the students tried to leave. But it's even weirder. Someone was trying to sneak onto campus. It's Valletta, and Ogi has them release her into his custody with the excuse of, She's one of my priority agents. I'll debrief her. We head upstairs um, to the students. Millie suspects Anina's still underground in the hangar, and Callan's being a Black Knight commander um, was a shock. But Shirley just makes a gendo face and says Zero won't do anything to hurt them. Everyone asks why why she's so sure about this, but before she can do anything, like say who he is, there's a scream of coward from the outside. Um, We see that the Gawain has positioned itself with... Um, with its back to the student council building, and the Lancelot is flying around uh, on the other side of it. Um, the rest of this story will be covered later. Inside their private room, Ogi asks Valletta why she's here. This is the most dangerous place imaginable for her. And this goes incredibly poorly for him because she reveals that she's remembered her identity. She's a knight of honor of the Britannian military, and it disgusts her to think he'd call her a lover. She then shoots him right in the gut and sneaks away. The Black Knights discover their wounded commander immediately from the gunshot, but only the highest ranked are allowed to know about this, calling a medic in and keeping him secreted away. Nobody wants to start a panic among the rank and file. Inside the council room, the student captives can all hear the uproar outside, as well as see Suzuku's captured mech out the window. Nunnally shows she's still got some of that V Britannia in her when she tells everyone, this seems like a chance, and urges them to use the confusion to slip out. She will act as hostage and distraction so they can attempt to rescue Suzuku. In the basement, the search for Oki's would-be assassin is continuing. Unfortunately for the Black Knights down there, they do not find Valletta, and they find Nina, completely out of her mind, who has finished tweaking the ancient frame. These men do not survive the encounter. We then move back to Suzaku and Lelouch. Um, aboard the Albion, Suzaku is heading for the Lancelot, but Cecile and Lloyd are waiting for him. Lloyd tells him, in a slightly taunting but very blunt terms, that Suzaku has no permission to take the Lancelot into battle. Neither Cornelia nor Snizel have ordered him out there, and the Lancelot is technically a research subject. And this is where Suzaku punches his boss and takes the keys, telling the duo, Zero is in Tokyo, and I'm going to finish him with my own hands. As he pins his night badge to his chest... He tells a prone Lloyd, I won't let you stop me. I don't think that night badge is valid anymore. Nah. (laughs) When we next see him, he's carving a swap through some of the militia on the way to Ashford. It's both incredibly flashy with the Harkin slash skates um, being used as a traversal combo to stay out of the skies, and incredibly brutal in the fact that he's just killing anybody now without a second thought. His assault only slows when an off-camera mecha knife is tossed at his head and it gets deflected back into the Gurren's hand as Colin reveals herself hanging off of a building. The fight almost seems like Colin has the win as she grabs the sword arm and blasts it with the wave cannon, but Suzuku just ejects it and then shoots her frame's arm off as a trade. The arm that matters, by the way. She only has two, but only one of those matters for her mech. And uh, then he's still got a gun and the ability to fly. Suzuku just asks once more where Zero is, and when Kala tells him to get fucked, he's about to just shoot her then and there before the Gawain flies in. Once their fight takes to the skies over Ashford, 
Lelouch, Cece, and Sayoko use a series of careful feints and leaving themselves open to lure Suzuku onto the ground and into the same shutdown trap they used on Shikine Island. Apparently Lloyd didn't try and make a counter for this. We learn apparently Rakshada has agreed to this to get first dibs on the Lancelot for her own studies, taking over command on site, and so Lelouch shrugs off Suzuku's cry of You coward! with the cutting I have no time to argue over which of us is the bigger hypocrite. Farewell, Suzuku Kururugi. Lelouch then flies from here towards the Capitol building, noticing uh, Schneisel's air fleet coming in. However, the Black Knights have taken control of a supply station, and all of their nightmares, Gawain included, were just topped off on power. This means he has no reason whatsoever not to just blast them out of the sky with the particle cannons. One 360-degree no-scope later, the entirety of the reinforcements are scrap raining down on the battlefield. He tells Toto he's going to land on the building just to create a little chaos, and finds himself confronted with a full replica of his mother's garden, which Cece recognizes on sight and confirms he's not hallucinating. Before he can ask, why do you know what my mother's garden looked like, Cornelia reveals herself, saying she knew he'd come as soon as he heard about the air support. She gives a good-ass set of crazy eyes and asks, Would you care for a dance? And then, climax. On top of the rooftop, Lelouch is baffled about how he can't land a hit on Cornelia. The Gawain specs are widely beyond what her frame should be able to output, but she's outmaneuvering him. Um, the armor's holding, but it's only a matter of time before she hits something vital and cri cripples the Gawain if he doesn't uh, change the tide. His move is to attempt to take him to the skies. Unfortunately for him, Cornelia has anticipated this, and instead bum-rushes the Gawain as it lifts off, moving her slash harkins, or sorry, shoving her slash harkins into the larger mech structure to hold onto him and pull her mech into the sky. She screams that this is the end, and she will be his judgment. And that's when, the f and that's when her frame's torso erupts with a lance directly through the cockpit, wounding her uh, physically and psychi psychologically with a shock she never saw coming. This bit is so fucking hype, because her cobs yeah. come alive with a message from a barely functional frame below. It's motherfucking Darleton, and now we can see he's just gassed out. And he says, don't be afraid, your highness. I'm not here to kill you. I've just come to deliver you to zero. And in the Gawain, Lelouch smirks, saying, wow, I can't believe he actually made it. Uh, Darleton only comes I love the idea that it was Darleton just like bleeding out and Zero just goes I guess I'll gas him just to see if I can get anything out of this uh, <laughs> why would you not yeah fuck it whatever uh, Darleton only comes to his senses the instant after his command is over and his final thoughts on earth are wait a minute what have I done? A princess. And then Zero just fucking annihilates him with the photon cannons, ending his life instantly. Lit as fuck. Yeah. Back inside Ashford Academy, the door to the student council room opens. Nunnally turns at the sound, but obviously has to ask, who's there? Is that you, Cece? Sadly, it is not. Tiny Imp Vivi is standing there, and he says, I've come to take you with me. And that's where the episode cuts off. You know what? Vivi has, like, Monaka vibes. Not gonna lie. Just like that shitty little mm -hmm. goblin from Dragon Ball Super. Yeah. 
I find Vivi more irritating, but that's mostly because this season all he does is go, there's a plot coming, but I won't tell you. That's also because Minaka is made better by being like a great foil for Goku. Yeah. More bonus trivia I found out during this week's notes. I just need to find copies of the original Code Geass manga before we go into season two, because in yet another bit of how the fuck does that work lore... Apparently Cornelia isn't in the manga at all. Excuse Euphemia me? just arrives and is See? What? Yeah, Euphemia just shows up and is the new viceroy when Clovis is killed. There's just no Cornelia. So, no Cornelia, no nightmare frames. No wonder this anime and all of its movies and like the million plotline scenario is just totally fucked. I just have to read what that version of this story is because those are two major changes that's fucking uh, wild there's some there's some loose notes from uh, Matt here which he left because he could not attend uh, he says he was surprised Euphemia did not spill the beans on Lelouch but Suzuku finds out anyway of course she had doesn't wondered the whole point if- is they don't remember being kiosked but she also did know he was zero without that. Yeah. Yeah, but why would uh, that be the thing he you had... think of in the last second? You know what I mean? Because if you don't remember the scenario that involved you being Giast, it would just be, as I'm dying, randomly bringing up, hey, I hug out with Zero, who is Lelouch, on this island one time. Why would that be the last thing you say? <laughs> you know, if you know you're dying, maybe you feel like you need your knight to continue the outreach? I don't know. I would try to rub one out really uh, fast. <laughs> um, he had wondered in past episodes if there were other Gias witches and how they would factor into the story, and hey, Vivi is the start of that. Great Death Note type shit with Darlton. That is true. Once again, very L move. Yeah. And Valetta didn't just cap Oki twice, so you know there's more to come with that subplot, which he's right. That's true. Did we even bring up? Maybe I missed it, and when my internet was fucking up. We, so we definitely brought up the part where he collapsed all of the substructure of the city. Yes, that was the yeah. end of episode twenty-three. I'm bummed that I missed Which that. Which was sick. Sick as fuck. Spoilers for the listener. Yeah, I've had internet a... problems and missed half of this episode. Yeah, hopefully they won't notice, but then, you know, they'll notice because I'm very rarely quiet. Great episode. Yeah, this is wonderful. The only reason we did not charge forward and just do the finale with this is because I feel like we're all going to end up talking about, boy, what a disappointing end this is. And that would have made this two hours and change. God, the end is unbelievable. The end is... I've written the notes for it, and I'm so mad because not a lot happens it is just an episode full of spinning in fucking place stuck in the mud and then cutting off just as anything occurs yep yeah it's the did you know we're getting a season two no that had to happen right before the zone i think is when that happens we had that speculation last time the other reason i wonder about that is because there's a new intro for two episodes there's a new intro, and another thing that definitely has me wondering, how the fuck 
is uh, if you just drop Vivi and you don't have any plot written out for that character. Wow, that's funny, actually. So they must have they must have started planning season two by this point, because we get a lot of revelations like the Glaston Knights and Vivi that are presumably going to be next year, but they ain't here. Vivi fucking sucks. Uh-huh. Yeah. Never been a good character named that. No, never. I'll take that onto both podcasts. I will fight God about this. Yeah, 100%. Final Fantasy IX, dog shit. If it's good, bring them out. Where are they yes. at? Where are you no. Th- no defenders. Where are they at? None. You know what? Could have been a good one-disc video game. I could give you that. Hell, would have been more interesting to see you do an actual throwback that didn't just ape art style, but tried to be pixel art. Dude, the fucking... That PSP remaster was too good for the world. Yep. Anyhow, who got plugs, Garrett? Final Fantasy, check it out. I don't have plugs. What are you talking about? Um, (laughs) There's a podcast that may or may not come back at journeythroughthedecacast.com in which I try to... try to schedule with two other people to do a recording. Yeah, your language around this becomes more and more dire every episode. <laughs> it's gone from infrequently recorded may or may not ever come back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you can find uh, my... I just started getting hair in my mouth. <laughs> Chris, do your plugs first. If you want to learn more about Britannia... And what, Brita- what is actually happening here, both in the show and in real life, may I recommend a book by a person called Walter Rodney named How Europe Underdeveloped Africa. That's honestly a good read. Great book. And you can hear all of the hosts on this network on a variety of other shows, which you can find from pitchdrop.net. There's Lightning Strikes Thrice, a JRPG Games Club podcast. Icons and Icons, a show about... Final Fantasy XIV that dives into the themes and mechanics of that game. And also, for now, a second premium form of Boku no Stop, this show about different anime, which is currently not covering anime and instead talking about the Tetsuo, the Iron Man movies. That's all for this week. We'll return in two weeks with the final episode, 25-0, and a whole lot of screaming. Zero, See ya. Zero is, uh, is also by rating out of ten for the next episode. <sighs> That's not super good. Actually, I think it's... Actually, I'm not going to lie. I love it 